we need, we're going to talk today about angels as God's agents in, in the incarnation. I'm going to read a number of passages from Luke and Matthew. So if you follow with me, this is from Luke 1, uh, speaking about Zacharias. And there appeared to Zacharias an angel of the Lord. He was standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to Zacharias, Do not be afraid, for your prayer has been answered, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he'll go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. Then a few verses down in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, if we flip back to Matthew 1, and just simply it says, uh, And Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put Mary to shame and resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then it says that Matthew, or rather that uh, Joseph did as the angel had instructed him. At the birth, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the angels went away from them into heaven. Now we could flip back into Matthew and uh, we could read then in relationship to the Magi, they were warned by God in a dream an angel, no doubt, because it's the same exact language that's used here. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And then again, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And so we begin to see the involvement here is the angels are God's agents in Christ's incarnation. Now, as we look at this, I want to just consider angels in general for a minute then talk about them in this agency at the Incarnation. First of all, you were born, I hope. Now, there's a couple of people, one of them that's not here today, I think he was hatched, but the, the, the others of you were born. But uh, uh, angels were created. So you've got all the angels being created probably at one time, individually. So angels, as we understand them, are created beings. Uh, they don't marry. That's what we understand. In heaven, we will be somewhat like angels in one of the things that says they neither marry or are given in marriage. Now, a thing that we ought to be careful to discriminate between is our thinking about angels is they are not supernatural. They are superhuman. They're a part of creation in some way. Now, when we say they're created beings, there is a bit of a mystery of the timing of their creation. So a great deal of effort has gone into trying to discern were angels in existence before the creation of the world or are they a part of the created order? Uh, we don't have a definite on that, but we're told in the scriptures that they were there at the first day of creation. Were they a part of the first day, or did they precede creation? Well, the, you know, the jury's out on that one. Now, when we say they're spiritual beings, we have to make sure we understand that we're saying they don't have bodies. Now, they can take on a body as is necessary um, in, in some part of their mission in God's service, but they don't have bodies. They're spirits. 
Uh, we could talk about many things about this. There are thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. You've got cherubim, you've got seraphim, you've got Michael, you've got Gabriel. But these are all, as we're led to understand, spiritual beings. First of all, they're ministers to God's work. Now, if you were to want to look at a couple chapters in the Bible that deal with a theology of angels, really we have two good chapters, and that would be the first chapter of the book of Hebrews and the second chapter of the book of Hebrews. There's a great deal about the relationship of angels to God and to Christ and angels in reference to man and particularly redeemed Christians. So Hebrews 1 says they are, angels are ministers of your winds and they are like servants of a, in a fire. This is what you would find there quoting a passage from the Old Testament. But then too we're also told that angels are ministers to those who will inherit salvation. Now that's something that we should all take into consideration. It's not saying they were ministers to those who will inherit salvation way back when in the Old Testament times. When the author writes the book of Hebrews, he is minimally speaking to third and fourth generation Christians. And he's telling them that angels are ministers to those speaking to them, therefore speaking to us, who will inherit eternal salvation. You find that in the end of Hebrews 1. As ministers to God's people, they're, they're messengers very often. So when we see the messengers come in the Old Testament, we can think how messenger angels were sent to Joshua. Uh, we can think of how they were sent to Abraham. We can move right along through the Old Testament and see various times that these angels came in that role. We can come to the New Testament and see how the angels were here, messengers to Mary and Joseph and to Zacharias. Later on, you'll see other people in the New Testament. These angels came to be messengers to them. Uh, At the resurrection, the angel was there and directed Mary in certain ways to, to do certain things. A thing that we sometimes don't think about, they are exactors of God's wrath. Numerous times in the Old Testament we see this. At Passover, the destroying angel went and killed all the firstborn. When Sennacherib sent his army, and the general's name was something like Rabshakeh, and he was defaming God in front of the king and the prophet at at the walls of Jerusalem, Uh, the next time we hear about this army, uh, an angel of death has gone through this army, and this whole army is just about totally annihilated. We see this in the New Testament. Uh, In Acts 12.23, Herod gave a great oratory, and the people began to say, the voice of a God, not of a man. And it said, immediately, an angel of God struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten with worms. You see this in the book of Revelation, the wrath of God being exacted um, through through angels. Uh, Just on this thing with Herod a moment ago, I think it's all the controversy about Tim Tebow giving praise to God every time 
he does something on the field or at the end of a game, all he's doing is trying to reflect, God gave me these talents, and I'm going to give God the glory for the talents he gave me. Uh, obviously, King Herod was unwilling to do that, wanted to take the glory to himself, and there were consequences to that. So we need to be aware that we should, all that we do, we do for the glory of God. In the Old Testament, we see angels coming as cleansers of sin. You remember Isaiah in the temple? I'm a man of unclean lips. The angel of the Lord took the coals, touched the lips. There, I've cleansed your sin. God did it, but he did it through an angel. Uh, they are guardians. You see in the Old Testament that the Syrian army came to surround Elisha and Elijah looked out with his servant Gehazi, who was terrified that Dothan was surrounded, and he says, Lord, open the young man's eyes, and he looks and he sees the mountains and the hills are covered with the chariots of God, angels there. And then there's this great deliverance of Elijah. You see Peter in the New Testament imprisoned, and the angels lead him out safely. Concern about guardian angels, Matthew 18.10. Great theological issue, but the, the main thing that we see in Matthew 18.10 is that there are angels having some area of responsibility for individual Christian people. Now, I'm not saying that you have one and I have one and all who believe have one, but that table might have one. Or this church, we're told, in, in the book of Revelation, has an angel. We're told as we gather, the women are supposed to adorn themselves in certain ways in public worship because of the angels. So angels are involved in guarding the church in general, in individual Christians in particular. Um, just this morning, a man was telling me about his granddaughter. Well, his granddaughter was at about nine months, three days, and so many hours into a pregnancy. And she and her boyfriend were eating at a restaurant. Well, all of a sudden, it's time to pay the check, and the waitress says, your check's been paid for. Well, that kind of shook them up because they'd had a little bit of an expensive meal. Well, how'd that happen? That man over there sitting by himself, he paid it. Walked over to thank the man. The man looked at him and said, you're not married? The guy gulped and said, no. He said, you need to do what's right. You need to do what's right. Very brief conversation. It was over. The couple went out, got married. But they began to think, who was that man? And they began to do all they could do to find out who that man was. No recollection, a man there. I could go on and on with stories like this. What am I getting at? Hebrews 13.1 says to the church at that time, 
Don't neglect hospitality, for by it some have entertained angels unaware. Now, when we talk about the supernaturalness of your growth in grace as a Christian, sometimes we become basically materialist. And as a materialist, we basically think of cause and effect. If I'm good, God blesses. If I'm not good, God doesn't bless. I can be in God's will, out of God's will, and on and on and on. And all we're talking about is what I can see. What does the scripture say? Man cannot tell what eyes have cannot see. All the things that God does for those whom he loves. So as you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, I think we always have to be cognizant of the idea that God is working out our salvation in using the agency of his angels in order to accomplish his salvation. Unfortunately, with angels being eternal beings, those who have fallen appear to not be objects of the salvation that has been accomplished in Christ for us who have fallen. But we do find that the angels that are a part of God's eternal good plan are mutual beneficiaries of Christ's reconciling work on the cross because we're told that this reconciliation in Colossians chapter 1 includes things that are seen and unseen, whether powers or principalities, rulers or authorities. All things have been reconciled through Christ through the blood of his cross. We're told that the whole creation has anxious longings waiting for the redemption of men. And we're told that angels have, first of all, knowledge that is theirs through the granting of God creating them that way, and that there are things that they come to understand and there are things that they do not understand. You remember when it's talking about our redemption, I think it's Peter that says these are things into which angels long to look. They long to understand more about these things, but these things will be revealed to them as God unfolds his plan of redemption. When we look at the incarnation and the nativity of Christ, we see basically two major things. And there's just whole bits here that I'm not even trying to cover today about angels, fallen angels, and all of There's just too much material. But when we look at the incarnation and nativity, what we see is supernatural messages of supernatural events given by superhuman people that are angels. And with that, not only messages, but the supervision of these supernatural events by these angels. So as the messenger comes during these times, you see that there are decrees that are made by God. So God has decreed to bring his son into the world, but there are other aspects of this. And one is to send a prophetic forerunner. And so God's decree is made known to Zacharias, and we're assuming that it's merely through Zacharias explaining these things to Elizabeth. We can't rule out that the angels didn't communicate in some time later, 
to Elizabeth that they would have a son. There's a straightforward decree of God. This is what's going to happen. I'm here to tell you about it. There's the allowance for Zacharias. Uh, Angels are, well, they can interact. They just don't have to spill the beans. And so they, the angel makes this announcement. Zacharias is bowled over by the thing, and he begins to speak in a way that is a bit, to use the term, impertinent. You remember how this word impertinence is used? It's basically the idea of here's somebody who is in a greatly lower stature basically interrupting and questioning the the words or authority of somebody that is there that is in a vastly superior position. So the reason for the interaction here uh, after Zacharias' questioning is because of this impertinence. So to... Zacharias, after his challenge, not so much a question, but a challenge, there's an insurance that God is going to carry out his decree, but there is also a binding of Zacharias because of the way he has responded to God's decree. Uh, Certainly an old couple, beyond childbearing, having a son, all the details, I'm sure it was a shock. So we look at this and we say that's what's going on here. But when the angel says, look, I am Gabriel, I think a part of the rebuke here is I am Gabriel. I mean, this is the angel who stands in the presence of God and receives God's decrees and he's being challenged by a follower. And so... After this takes place, then, you know, the consequence of this was that Zacharias was not able to speak for 9, 10, 12 months. We don't know how long, quite a while. But the old couple uh, are having their prayers answered, and the son is coming as a part of God's decree to act as a herald of the Messiah. So the angels come in this manner to announce man's salvation that is to be accomplished. Now, again, how do we look at these angels in this um, drama? Because certainly they are spectacular. But think of it sort of like this. If uh, the olden days and you went to a jewelry store and you wanted to examine, let's just say, a fine string of pearls. So you got this jewelry counter And this is what the jeweler does, right? He gets out the string of pearls and lays it on the glass countertop. Is that what he does? No. What's he do first? He reaches underneath and he pulls out this little envelope. A lot of times it's in some type of a cloth. He undoes it and he pulls out a piece of black satin or velvet. It's been kept in the bag to keep the lint from building up on it. You don't want any imperfections on that cloth. Cloth in itself is pretty spectacular. Now you take the jewels, whatever it would be, string of pearls, and what does that do to the pearls? It makes them dance. Their glory is shown forth because of this backdrop. 
The angels are the backdrop. Christ is the great jewel that's laid on this. We see what the angels are doing, and we say, if this is what the angels are and what they do, how much greater, how much more exalted is the person of Christ? Well, you see, secondly, here that the, the God's greater decree comes to Mary and then later to Matthew. A son is promised to them. Again, it's a supernatural event. A virgin is being spoken to, and she is being promised a son, and she is being promised that this son is going to take the throne of King David, and that this son is going to come and to rule over God's people, Israel, and all the church that followed after it, and he's going to sit on that throne forever. So she is being told something that far surpasses the message that was passed on uh, by Gabriel to uh, Zacharias. Hers is a question and not a challenge. So when we say, well, what's the difference between Zacharias? What's the difference between Mary? Zacharias challenges Mary questions. Mary needs more information. Zacharias is saying, like, this can't happen. So the interaction again takes place with Gabriel. And again, the information of how this conception is going to take place by the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit And as a result of this, this child will not merely be the king of Israel, but he'll be holy, God's son. So we see these angels that are coming here in this announcement, then later coming to Joseph, taking away Joseph's apprehension concerning Mary's pregnancy and revealing God's purpose, that Jesus now to Joseph, it's revealed the specific aspect His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So the little bit difference of nuance there. Now the last thing when we talk about this, we see the supernatural supervision. Angels are coming and angels are going because of the dimension of the redemptive event that's occurring. The world is going to swing on a hinge, and the hinge is going to be the birth of Christ in the world. B.C., A.D., all of this kind of thinking, the anticipation of Messiah, the coming of Messiah, the salvation to the Jews, the salvation of the world, all of this is hinging here, and in every aspect and dimension of this, the angels are given charge to supervise this. The events proceed to the location of the birth, and after the birth itself, you see the angels being the heralds. They go and appear, and I want to just make a case here, to whom do they appear? The despised and the poor. The announcement is first made not to the upper scale, but it's made to the people who are the least likely to be privileged in a social culture. We as a church continue have to be reminded of this. The myriad of angels appear after the first angel, and to them is given the opportunity to praise God and to lead the world in praise, to express the joy of heaven that the joy of heaven might be expressed on earth, 
And to see the festivity of these angels, and we're told again in the book of Hebrews that we have come to a heavenly Jerusalem to angels who are in festal apparel. That's to whom we are connected. And the shepherds, the poor, are directed to see, they're directed to witness, they're directed to share the joy, and they're directed to bear witness to this great joy to the world. And so we see these angels interacting in the full spectrum of this announcement of Christ coming into the world. Many things that we could just say here, but I I just want to enclose, if you were just to go down and look at Jesus, angels were there at the conception, at the birth, at the infancy, at at the childhood, at the adulthood in the wilderness, in the Garden of Eden, at the resurrection, at the ascension, at the session of Christ, and they'll be there at the return of Christ. That should be somewhat of a picture that you're not alone. Oftentimes people tell me they're afraid, they feel vulnerable, and they feel so alone. We should refresh ourselves by reading over these stories that are in the scriptures to realize that we're never alone. That God's angels are with us from the beginning of our salvation till its conclusion. And we see these things as we look at Christ's narrative and as we look at the narrative of other Christian people, Old Testament and New Testament. We come into this time of Christmas. It's a time in which angels have taken a tremendous role. We should see that that role continues even to our day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for an opportunity to look at this passage and uh, to think about what all of this means then and now to realize that underneath us are always your everlasting arms and part of the way that that's always true is that you have given your angels charge over us and so we are thankful help us to rejoice as they rejoiced that a savior has come and is now seated at your right hand so we come to you with joy and thanksgiving. In Christ's name, amen.